We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And we start a back-to-back. Lakers play the Clippers tonight, technically a home game, and then tomorrow against San Antonio. But Mike, sadly, you were not on our Rui Hachimura podcast yesterday, but since last time we talked, Lakers traded for him, traded Kendrick Nunn in three seconds. So let's start there, man. What are your thoughts on the Rui trade? It's funny, on Saturday, I was watching uh, Orlando, Washington, randomly, which I, I, don't, I don't know why it wasn't a huge <laughs> league pass game necessarily. Um, and Rui went off. He had 30 points on 13 for 22 from the field, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's hitting threes. And um, it's just one of those things you monitor when a guy who he, he's had some games like this, like he had a 30 point game um, in at the end of December. He's had a couple of high 20 point games, but usually he's more on those teens and he's coming off the bench and he's not playing huge minutes. But that was just one thing that uh, that I was doing on Saturday. So then when I started hearing about a potential trade happening, uh, I I was a little more intrigued because he, to me, is the kind of player, first of all, Pete, and you and Darius covered this very well yesterday, where he just fits this concept of what we've had that you're simply getting a bigger player and evening out the roster that has one too many guards and the guy that is, even though we've been playing a little bit better lately in Kendrick Nunn, um, that especially once Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker come back, you know, that's, you have other players that can fill that spot and there's nobody else that really does the things that, that Hachimura does with his size. And that is an immediate win, especially because of the, the second round picks that are being given up. Uh, Darius broke this down for us extensively in the text thread and maybe the quickest way to describe it, Pete, is that two of the picks were already involved with the Lakers and the Wizards. It, uh-huh. Can you can you hit that real quick? Oh, man. I So I, there's no way I can explain it quite as well as Darius can. So I'll paraphrase on, on Darius. But basically, Lakers got a couple second round picks back in the Russell Westbrook trade, right, that rarely ever get talked about that were some of the lead assets in 
this the 2023 Bulls second rounder and the and a 2028 second rounder um, were two of the picks involved in that trade. So in some ways, you can the way you do the accounting on this, Mike, you could make the Russ and Kuz KCP trade all and this Rui trade kind of all part of the same deal. It's interesting how much business we do with Washington. Yeah, so so that made me like the trade a little bit more, uh, just in terms of not giving up, you know, your own future seconds in that sense, and also the fact that the Lakers bought Max Christie um, with the second last year, mm-hmm. and had they kept the Bulls twenty three uh, twenty twenty three second rounder, I think that it's unlikely that you roster two second round picks from one draft class, mm-hmm. uh, especially considering what you're going to want to bring in in terms of vets and other things like that. So uh, that I thought was smart. I thought that was smart the way that they went about it, but. The focus, of course, has to be on the player. And the way that I want to think about a guy like Hachimura, to me, it, it evolves over time. But he was drafted in the lottery by the Wizards because they wanted him to turn into a guy. And he had a profile with size and athletic ability and, and et cetera out of Gonzaga. And then he gets there and for whatever reason, isn't quite able to go on that track, you know, as a, as a guy that's going to be a real guy. But he's still young. And I think in his own mind, he he doesn't probably share that same thought. He thinks, well, hold on, like, I'm still developing. Maybe if you played me more, maybe if we had better stars to, to play off of instead of what it's been there with Bradley Beal being on and off uh, the court with injuries and them not being able to add a second piece. And then they make the trade with what for Westbrook to go to the Lakers and Kuzma, of course, being one of the guys that goes to Washington. Mm-hmm. And Kuzma, in, in some ways, replaces him in terms of role and playing time and how much he gets the basketball. And there are, there's some similarities, honestly, to the way that they want to play. And the reason that I'm, I'm giving this setup is that now think about Kuzma's path with the Lakers. So he gets there. And even though he wasn't a high lottery pick, he felt like he was like in the way that he thought about the way he played basketball. And he thought that that was the track that he could go on. Well, and he w- he came in hot, right? There was Kuzmania to start out that summer league. He was playing really well as a rookie. He came in with that, both the game and the attitude of a lottery guy. No doubt. And and he achieved some of that in the way that he played early. And But once the Lakers got Anthony Davis, it, in a bit of a similar way, now that's a, a real star. Like you can't, you know, there's no, oh, I, I should have had that. I should have that spot. Like it's Anthony F. Davis. Yeah. But he had to figure out a way to stay on the floor. And so his defense got better. His passing got a little better. His three-point shooting got better. And the way that he took shots sometimes got a little better. So he evolved in order for that team to win the title into more of a role player that could still pop from time to time. And I think that when you when you put a player like Rui Hachimura and you take him out of that original situation in Washington, first of all, with no disrespect to Washington, it, a guy's going to be excited about that. Okay, He's, mm-hmm. he's going to be happy. He's going to be excited. He's going to be excited to be in crypto.com arena. He's going to look over and see LeBron James uh, and at some point, potentially soon, Anthony Davis. And to what level can Darvin Ham and his staff and, and certainly LeBron have him without feeling like he's just being put into a role saying, hey, look, if you play a certain way, you play this way and you defend more than perhaps you have in Washington at times and you pass the ball a little more. You know, his assist to turnover ratio, not the best. You still look for your offense in certain parts, but em- embrace what we need. That's going to make you look better. It's going to make your deal look better potentially in the offseason. And you can kind of actualize and realize the player um, that you can become in, in the NBA for a long time by embracing a certain ethos about the game. And 
that's very speculative and it's going to take a lot of conversations and we have to see this is more of an eye test thing too, Pete. Like what, yeah. how does he look within this, uh, this ecosystem? But that's to me, the optimistic way of looking at it is the situation he was in. is not one that was going to bring out the types of uh, athletic ability and size and all of those things that could work better playing off of somebody like LeBron. And, and it's not that that's going to happen for sure, but that to me is where the, the, sort of growth curve lies within this trade. Yeah, that change of environment really represents a level of upside to the trade that, again, like you said, is not necessarily going to be fulfilled, but he's coming somewhere to, to somewhere where there's much more of a clearly defined pecking order. He's, I think, going to be more of a finisher and more of a, like, he's a pretty good post player. Darius is doing some great deep dives on this. Um, he's a good post player, good isolation guy, where when teams want to switch against us, he's a guy that we can exploit a big little type of mismatch in ways where we're usually trying to do it a, a little on a on a big guy, right? Like Dennis Schroeder or someone like that, trying to break down a big guy who's gotten switched onto them. It's good to have that on the other end. And obviously, Anthony Davis can do that. LeBron can do that. But I, I think having another guy in that respect is going to be really helpful. And that clarified pecking order, you compare that to Washington and, you know, he's competing with other guys like Denny Avdija and just they have a lot of forwards, like you said, with Kuz and all that. And there's no like clear. It's obvious this is yeah. how this team is set up. So when when you pull up Washington on League Pass, and I we started this by mentioning the last game that I watched for Washington, but my general recollections of Hachimura is he's coming in and he's going to go get buckets and he's going to kind of play his own game. Yep. And and that's sometimes flattering when he's playing well and sometimes not when he's coming in and, and sort of chucking and just, you know, not necessarily seeing somebody cut to the hoop on the backside because he's in the middle of his move. And that's the stuff that that's that's not the type of player uh, on in terms of feel, right, that mm -hmm. you're necessarily going to go to. But you catch him on the right night and that eyebrow gets raised and it's like, damn, this, this guy's pretty good. Like he's got some real he's got some real ability here and he's big enough to have there aren't that many defenders uh, that can really impact him uh, when he's in that kind of a rhythm. And that's where it comes back to the size and the whole thing that the rim is 10 feet tall. So. I am very intrigued and was listening to you and Darius talk about the slotting and where he fits within the lineup and, and such. And I want to kick this back to you now, because I'm sure that you've been watching a little bit more of him uh, and thinking about how he specifically fits. So uh, if you can just give me that, I am ready to take some notes. Yeah, I mean, this is going to evolve. I may have a different opinion tomorrow and we'll see when he when he plays his first game. But uh, I... <laughs> I'm curious if he starts or comes off of the bench. I I can see an argument for both. I think I tend a little more toward that bench role. I, it's interesting in the context of talking about Kuz, I see him filling a similar role, right? In that he may not start, but he may be that forward off the bench who can score a little bit. I see some Keefe in his game too, because he does a lot of stuff in the mid range. And if you look at his shot chart, it's very, very complete, right? It's not like as much of a new school shot chart where it's at the rim or behind the three point line. He takes shots from pretty much everywhere on the floor. And I think in our style, which is kind of this 90s wrecking ball, we're going to try to beat you from 18 feet and in type of style. I think that fits. But I do wonder if that's going to be more off the bench or not. One of the things I've seen, I've noticed from Wizards fans and, and Rui fans is like, oh, he's back with Russ, that there was this idea that him and uh, Russ had a good connection. So that's part of what plays into my, I think he'll come off of the bench, but I'm not positive. I think you have a different uh, different take on it, though. I think you're more inclined toward him starting. 
Not necessarily. I, I was, this is coming from the text thread and you guys were throwing out potential uh, situations. And Darius said, I see him more as a starter. And then mm-hmm. I just threw out like a lineup, right. With in which that he could start. But I think that coming off the bench, at least to start, especially as they're figuring out how to integrate things since Darwin has tried to stick with the lineup when he can. And I say that the Lakers have like had like 25 starting lineups <laughs> this season, which is insane. But it's that whole it's that whole concept of if he's in there, LeBron then defensively. He, well, here's the thing: like, what to what degree do you think Rui Hachimura can play the three versus the four defensively, and then therefore, what does that do for LeBron's matchup? And and I think that he can hang fine in most matchups with threes, and he can certainly defend fours. But it basically you don't have to necessarily separate that as a guy that's a little bit smaller that you want to get on the court or I'm sorry, a little bit bigger. Like when people are talking about the Thomas Bryant plus Anthony Davis lineups in which LeBron definitely has to take a wing at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't always love that idea. Right. So if, if LeBron and Hachimura are starting at the three, four, then LeBron can sort of pick, which is the more optimal matchup for him to a get a little rest, B help a little bit on the weak side. And, and so let me, before we, I really dig down into the lineup. What, what do you think about that concept? I'm skeptical on on Rui's ability to guard the three spot, especially starters. That said, uh, one of the things I loved about the Memphis game that we played this past Friday that hadn't occurred to me before then is that Taylor Jenkins is also from the Mike Budenholzer coaching tree. And so in a lot of ways, a lot of the concepts on both ends of the floor, they were kind of playing in a mirror, right? Darvin versus Taylor Jenkins, and but with completely different personnel. And one of the things that I've been curious about is the execution of the defensive scheme. If you think about Milwaukee, most of their lineups have two pretty big guys at the four and five spot. And we have not really been that way unless it's LeBron and AD out there or, you know, LeBron and TB, like TB doesn't have that rim protection. That's really what I'm talking about. And that's something that watching Memphis, they're such a protect the rim, attack the rim type of team, just like us. But they have the personnel with a big Steven Adams and then Jaron Jackson Jr. And they just have all of these big wings. And so I think that that's my one bit of hope on that front is that this scheme defensively asks I think I think it's easier when you have bigger forwards to run the scheme effectively for a number of reasons and part of that is you're asking your guards to ball pressure and I loved how we ball pressured Dame and just Dennis and, and Bev have had some good defensive games lately in particular and so that's my one like I think maybe that that would work but Rui's so tall and kind of a high center of gravity and he's like 230 pounds I think some of the smaller skilled quicker type of threes might give him some issues yeah that makes sense i think here's the good news that it doesn't really matter that much to me if he's starting or coming off the bench and Mm -hmm. and sometimes if you trade for a certain player pete and whether because let's say you gave up a first round pick um, or they have had a certain status somewhere else there's a level of expectation that comes with that Mm -hmm. and even that can be awkward and i don't think that exists here I, i think this is a player who again with absolutely not wanting to speak for him. He could tell me otherwise when we talked to him at the arena tonight, but is just going to be excited to have a chance to play with this group. And he knows he's going to play. You don't, you don't get traded for and then walk in and not get real minutes. So he's going to get real minutes. We'll see what the fit is. I can make an argument for him starting. I can make an argument for him coming off the bench, but that's why, again, I think this Kuzma cop is pretty good where it got to a point with that team that it, it really didn't matter that much. Um, mm-hmm. If he started, he was going to get his minutes. He was going to get his shots up. 
and he was going to get a chance to close games, um, particularly if he was playing well. And I think that Rui fits right into that mix. Very much so. And I we have several guys who on any given night would totally be fine closing. And I think that that's a, a strength. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to look at this from a slightly different perspective and then talk about the back-to-back that we have coming up. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You look like the cat that ate the canary, Mike. Well, no, I, I, a, I enjoyed that you call your dogs uh, turkeys. At some, at, oh, did I? I do. Point, I didn't know. I said that. <laughs> which I don't understand the origin of, but I love and, and it's fun. And feel free to comment or not. And then I want to get this in since Darius isn't here. He said something along the lines of, "I don't throw every trade, every guy that I think of uh, in in the text to you." And I was like, "Well, that's news to me." Yeah, that is. That is, he's like, oh, no, I only send you guys certain ones that actually I think are good and inapplicable. But and then and then you admitted that you guys went to the private text chain and oh, le- yeah. left me off after I after I complained um, about. And I was really just giving you guys a hard time. And, and now I feel a little left out um, of the text thread that includes oh, all of the random trade things. But I I would just wish that while you guys are doing that, occasionally there might be one that I would like. And then don't forget to send that to me in the group thread. That's all. Okay, we'll we'll see if we can thread that that needle on that. <laughs> So, Rui, Mike, whenever we get a new player on the Lakers, it's very easy to be like, ah, the new guy, and it's going to work out great. And these are all the good things about him, right? Uh, But in Kobe's famous words, it's not for everybody playing for the Lakers. And so what are – I'd I'd just like to talk about kind of – concerns or just kind of things to look out for with Rui uh, in in terms of like what can be some of the downside of a a trade like this? Well – the downside, I think, is mitigated some in terms of what you give up. And this is where we're getting into the whole 27, 29 first round picks and whether or not they were protected. And that would, to me, that would have made me more nervous about it almost having to work out because mm-hmm. you only get so many shots at that. And whereas the second round picks, as we saw last year, can be replaced at times just by having cash. And yep. and I'm not saying they're not valuable. They are. Like, in fact, they sometimes they need to be put in as a throw in to get a trade over the top. And, and so I wouldn't just recklessly be like, Oh yeah, you can have five second round picks. And but exactly. they, they seem to, they seem to carefully think about which ones they included. And I'm sure that was part of what the negotiations were. So that's, that's the first part of it. But now just speaking as to the player portion of it, all of the stuff that I said to start the podcast of the, ideally this guy's coming in with a certain mindset and it's to just help the team win. And he's going to fit where he can. That is not 
A, a guarantee, and B, even if a guy thinks that sometimes, then sometimes his idea of his own game is different from what the coach's idea of his game is. And I've said this over the last couple of years and think about like a, a player like Austin Reeves on one hand or Russ on the other and where Austin is coming in and as a role player his whole life, just thinking about how he can fit in with that team. And you can see that now he has limitations, but in terms of how he's going to try to fit in, whereas Russ, who has been who's played a certain way his whole life, you have to kind of think about fitting to him a little bit more or a lot more. Mm-hmm. And we don't know for sure. We, we can t- we can you know, gather some things just based on looking at his numbers and the, and the certain amount of eye test where, you know, his assisted turnover is basically even right. He's not out there making plays. His rebounds for his size aren't great. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. okay, but there's not a lot of double digit rebounding games uh, that Hachimura has. And, you know, his field goal percentage is okay. I know Darius talked about some of his splits um, and where he finishes and, and where he doesn't, but my, my not, my not experienced enough league pass take of him has basically been that he's coming in and often playing on an Island. Um, but again, that that's where you have to factor in all of those other things about what the team that he was on, what he's asked to do. If he sees himself as more of kind of like a six man score um, based on what they had. And I, I just think that that's where there's two things. One, a conversation and that's him sitting down with Darvin Ham and, and with Rob Palenka and to an extent, some of the leaders on the team and Hey, like here's how here's how we think you can best play here and they have some of their guys like drew anthrop and um some of the other assistant coaches who are probably cracking the film on this and and john pastoric and they're like Mm -hmm. and they're they're sitting down for that first film session hey here's how you were doing things in washington what do you think about how this would work for the lakers and he's giving feedback that that's the one thing like really plan it out the second one is just let him play like like don't don't overcomplicate things here's what we're running here's a couple terminology aspects Go out and play, and then we'll look afterwards. And and then when you're on the bench, LeBron, I promise you, will look over in his direction, and as will Patrick Beverly, and they'll just tell him what to do um, in certain parts for the first game. Hey, here's what we're running. And when LeBron says that to you, it's not that's that's to me, Pete, where I'm yes. I'm having a harder time just finding elements of, to be pessimistic about because you're not like debating that. And LeBron's right, by the way. He's not going to tell you some dumb basketball idea, right? You know, uh, on a a given play. So I do think that that allows things to have a higher curve towards success when you think about who was on the Lakers roster. Very much so. It's just a more clearly defined uh, picking order and structure with that. The thing that I am always concerned about, I suppose, when we acquire a new guy is just the lights are brighter. The pressure is a little bit more, you know, he's got he's going to have more eyeballs on him and being able to do what he does in, you know, Washington is just a different animal than doing that with the Lakers. So that's just something that whenever we get a new guy, you know, that's that plays into it. That's, that's interesting. I, I don't know if I find that to be as much of a concern because the way that it seems like it's a concern is essentially guys don't hit shots or like, you know, like they don't live up to, to that moment or that pressure. But as you know, um, that to me isn't, isn't typically the, the barometer. Like if, as long as the competition level is there and I don't think you have that many guys in the NBA that don't have that in them. You know, that real like otherwise oftentimes you just don't make it to the league. So, yes, I'm, I'm going to I'm not trying to push back, but I'm wanting to clarify a little bit further from you as to how I'm that can actually did. affect a player. So when you have a bad game with the Lakers, 
which Rui will have a bad game. Everybody does. When you have a bad game with the Lakers, and if it's in any stakes or we lost a close last minute game because uh, because of something you did or did not do, you're going to get killed, right? Like you're going to get just a deluge of people that are telling you how much you suck. And that I think can be something that accumulates, right? And that there's no comparison like in any other portion of a player's career most of the time that is similar to that. There's not that like when you play at Gonzaga or when you play with the Washington Wizards, but if you, and as a role player, that's going to happen, right? You're going to have fewer opportunities and just that's, it's part of the deal. And I've seen a lot of confident former NBA champion players. Now you're right about your point that this is oftentimes simply as a jump shooter where guys get kind of get the yips a little bit, but I guess all I'm saying is it's a thing in L.A. in that you are going to get all the praise in the world, but also all the criticism. Yeah, that, that's I certainly can't argue with that. That's that the spotlight does shine brighter. Um, and I'll I'll kind of follow up on the previous point, but just try to make it a little more clear with this one that if you're if you've been in the league for a few years and you've played in every arena like he's got some idea right of what of what it's like. And mm-hmm. like he was in Washington where when the Lakers come into town, the, the Wizards fans care more about the Lakers than they do about the Wizards. And mm. that, to me, is a more sort of deflating type of experience, you know, to have, even if you have a bad shooting night and Laker fans are on you, right, and they're on your social media, oh, you suck, why did they, which, by the way, I don't think that most Laker fans are like that. You might, that's, that's where we get into the whole what is on Twitter and what yes. is in reality, Right. Whereas what are you seeing on Twitter versus what do most reasonable people think? Like Pete, for example, I don't know many people more passionate about the Lakers is not going on to players, Twitter accounts and talking shit to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, that's I think, again, I think where a lot of Laker fans that are educated and watch basketball are in that basket. And we don't we don't talk about that enough. That's certainly true. But if you're on the receiving end of it, even if it's just like 0.5% of the global Lakers fan base on you, you know what I'm saying? Like that's a lot can, of people. Yeah. And it can be, it can be impactful. But, but again, I think like, I think in the way that I would, I've had conversations with Lakers players about this before. Hmm. I think that that is a, it's like, you would rather have, you would rather be on a team where the fans care and hmm. then not where you're just playing and you're just sort of out there. And like last game, you scored 30. Did he get a bunch of love on wizard social media for that? Right. So I just think that it can, it can even out. And if you're, I don't think that most of these guys, including him are sort of mentally fragile and weak enough to have that really make an impact more so than whatever his lack of, of skill set or ability or fit or, you know, not, not really embracing what that role is and still trying to think about, potentially be fulfilling the lottery promise and like turning into a star and the next contract and and all that. And that's to me, we'll learn some of that in the press conference. Some of that, I think I'm going to interview him before the game. I'm not sure yet. Uh, We'll learn some of that could just kind of what his mentality is coming in. But um, I'm, my skepticism would be more towards just pure basketball IQ and the way that he plays basketball than, Mm. than sort of shrinking into the Lakers spotlight. But for me, without, without dismissing your point. No, I think I think that's certainly true. I guess all I'm saying is that it's going to be it's a factor whenever we get a new guy. So it's something I'll have an eye on. Uh, let's switch gears though to this back to back we got coming up, Mike. The uh, the Clippers oh, Pete, have Pete, had Pete. yeah yeah. Pete, before yeah. we get to the back to back, can we just react briefly to the back to back wins that were sort of ridiculous? <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you, Mike. That the Lakers have? yes. 
Yes. I mean, because I didn't get a chance to talk about you this with you or Darius. I am rarely super, super shocked when I, yeah. in, in the first of all, so the Memphis game, I, I was just like, what is going on here? There, <laughs> that is not a game that you win if you're the Lakers based on many, many, many factors. So before we get to the Portland game, which is a game that you definitely don't win ever when you're down by that much, the Memphis game, <laughs> you're quick two cents as to how they end up at, other than, you know, Memphis missing a billion free throws and the Lakers competing, but how do they actually win that game? So to me that the best version of us is constant attack. I loved how we played in the last five minutes of that game. And I wish we could bottle it up and keep it and try to stay playing that way. Now, part of the difficulty of that is that we were down and in pursuit mode. We weren't down by a ton, but it was in kind of that five to eight range with three and a half minutes left where you're not like, you know, got to shoot a three here, but you certainly got to pick up the pace. And that might not look the same when it's, uh, when we're tied, you know, and, but I just think that the personality of this team and I would love to, and maybe Rui will help with this. I would love for us to have that second pitch that can play slowly, but effectively, but we are not that (laughs) not yet. And so Darwin was as emotional as I'd heard, uh, after the Portland game, just from a, like, how many times are we going to watch the same movie? How many times are we going to do the same thing? We know how we need to play to be able to win games. Let's do it. And I, Uh, This is me interjecting my opinion into that is that I think that playing with pace and just an attacking style, it's not just Mike running up and down the court, but it's also ball pressure. It's like that we're going to we're going to kick your ass like we might not. But Dennis Schroeder is out there trying to kick your ass as best as he can. Thomas Bryant, same type of thing. And so it's this whole idea of like going forward, being the team that throws the first punch on a possession and being the one that dictates the terms. I thought in both games that and really throughout the season, when we stop being that team, we get our butts kicked really quickly. But when we're attacking, that's when we're at our best. Yeah, that's really, really good logic. Uh, I, my constant thought about this team is all of the, what you just described is hard to sustain. It's hard to sustain physically. It's hard to sustain mentally. And the fact that LeBron has been able to do it and even even that he's been able to do it like what he did in the second half against Portland, which was, OK, I don't have I don't have a lot in my legs, but I still have enough to just crush guys out of the way towards the rim, especially a Portland team without true rim protection. And that was not going to happen against Memphis. And it didn't. You know, it, there were a couple of possessions where it did, but it was other guys sort of getting some of that done and hitting some big threes and you know capitalizing on Memphis mistakes and missed free throws and all that but so there are there are some games where LeBron's going to look past his defender and past the help defender and all the way to the rim and if that's if there's not a real dude in there I don't care how tired he is he'll figure it out he'll get in there and he'll just lower the shoulder and he'll finish so that's to me that's going to be there but the wearing out part is where I get to like Austin Reeves in the hamstring or Thomas Bryant just hitting a wall energy wise or even like even Wenyan Gabriel, whose minutes now are stretched more than his was, and he was not he has not been as effective um, in mm-hmm. certain contexts. So like it's in this guess what again, Pete, like with Rui Hachimura coming in with some fresh, excited legs. Yep. Some size. A.D. potentially coming back like they that to me is is enough of an energy burst to get them to allow them to continue to be this team that is that is a pain in the ass to play. And when you see them, in, I got to do it. I got to not only do I have to deal with Beverly, you know, mm-hmm. chirping and harassing. And sometimes <laughs> it works, sometimes it doesn't. 
it worked on Dame. Uh, he and I had a little yep. exchange after the game, which which got seemed to get out there memed a lot. And uh, where I tried <laughs> to ask him a question about Dame, he uh, like took offense to it somehow. Just you know, just and, and I and I'm unfazed completely because well, that's him. You know, that's 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 yeah. truly him. That's truly yes. how he thinks, and that's how he's. He had an interaction with Goon right after that too. <laughs> right after that, right after that, and we all look at each other like Goon and McMenamin. Man, and, and a lot of times, like some of the players will will know that I work for the team, and and that and Beverly, not interested in that at all. And I, and, which I enjoy, I really enjoy it. You know me, I I, I kind of yes. enjoy the, the back and forth. I just yes. I sometimes you I would love to keep that playing that out until. Like, oh, okay. Well, you're suggesting that. Well, here's what it is, and we're, where we really go. But I can't do that on the actual air, right? Uh, I wish, I wish that I could. That would be fun. And, and I think that should, he and I would come a little more. Like, I, I've been loving it. I, I loved like, and and Kyle, to his credit, when because Kyle's the premise of Kyle's question was like, you still talk trash even when you're down big. And Pat Bev was like, I don't talk trash when we're down big. And Kyle's like, <laughs> you were talking. Yes, you to he, he didn't say it, say it with this quite tone that I'm about to, but he was like, you, I watched you. I saw you talk to Dame down 17 and you were still talking yeah. trash and Bev just like had to let it go. Well, right? he, so it's he, good to push back. But it, no, I, but, but again, there's a level of, again, given what my role is, right there, For there's sure. a certain point where I'm not going to, I'm not going to just keep the argument go. Even if I can keep it civil, it's like okay, you know. And and I do. I'll qualify it, but then I'll sort of change checks. That I, sure. I, br- I bring that up to say that opponents have that same type of mindset. All right, well, got dealing with Beverly, and then here's Dennis Schroeder mm-hmm. flying around, and then here's Austin Reeves taking charges uh, and being in, in the face the whole time, and Russell Westbrook and the chip on his shoulder, and all. So there's all of that's going to be there. The pace. It, it really is a team that's that's a pain in the ass to play, and I think that that can crystallize more. As as you add Hashimura, and certainly when you add Anthony Davis back into the mix, and and it can be sustainable to get you through the All Star break. I think that rest is going to be very needed for yes. many of the players. I wish that that LeBron that his All Star weekend would be a little bit less uh, demanding than it certainly will be, as he likely is the NBA's all time leading scorer going into mm-hmm. that, and thus the toast of the town. He's picking the team. He's going to play in the game. So there's there's a lot there, but then you get to the the second portion of the season, Pete, and that's where I think the All Star break. Hopefully, there's a sample size here with Hachimura. Hopefully, ads can stay on the floor, and then the coaches can spend that week really thinking about how to optimize this team. And I don't want to skip. I, I do want to get your thoughts on this back to back coming up, but I just want to kind of set that groundwork for uh, for how this is going to fit in with our larger picture. No, I'm glad that you brought up the sustainability and we'll have longer conversations about this, but you're spot on in that like, yeah, we're going to run like hell and speed chess and all of this stuff. Like, that's great. Do that for 82 games. Gold and farm, it's a, shout out, gold farm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and that's a big time ask. And so there are interesting conversations to have about how do you sustain that style of play? And one of the places I go to, especially with Rui coming in, is we've got 12 guys now that I'm like, I'm totally good with that guy playing. And so there's a certain, I don't know if you ever watched wrestling when you were a kid or uh, or like a relay race in track where, you know, sprint like hell for 100 meters and then hand the baton off to the next guy or do your best and give that high five to your teammate and then he's going to come into the ring for that tag team. And so the ideally, if you have enough guys, you can kind of create multiple waves and to be able to play that style. I do think that we will ultimately need to be able to play slow and execute and all of that. But the 
attack at the very beginning of the possession off of a ball screen, off of a mismatch, I think is something we're doing more and more and more. And we're seeing the results of that in our offense. And I think that to be able to sustain that and not have a slew of hamstring injuries and all of that, which are going to happen no matter what style you play to some degree, but certainly more in this style. I think that like shorter ro- shorter shifts, more guys in the rotation, that you can maintain kind of a an elevated level of pace and attacking. Well, to play slow, you have to be able to get stops and to be able to count on your defense. And in, in, in the same way that if you want to run, you also have to get stops, right, to really maximize your running. So that's that's the one thing. And Anthony Davis coming back again, like I'm I'm sort of did you hear me ask LeBron about that, by the way, in the postgame? Uh-huh. And he kind of, I felt like he kind of danced around it. Well, but but he's he feels exactly the way that I feel. It was just I, the, the way that I brought it up was just like, hey. This is going to be awesome, but I, until he's actually on the floor, I have to stay with a very direct focus of what I have to do for this team. And I can't just take it for granted that, that he's coming back the next game and then he's going to stay on the floor. Like it's a, it's a foot injury. His, his health is the most important. That's all. He's just, it was a very qualified um, response to it as opposed to, oh yeah, like things are, I, I keep hearing like everything I hear is great. And the, the updates have been positive, but he's like, I can't get out of the mindset of having to lead this team without AD until he's on the floor. Um, and so I thought that was a good qualifier. But the slowdown, part of it is the slowdown in terms of being able to count on getting a stop. And Davis sort of just has to be on the court there. But sure. the bigger part to, to for me is being able to score efficiently in the half court when you yes. are bringing it up. And that's where the Lakers have not been that effective. LeBron has been less effective. The lineups there are tricky with Russ and LeBron in those specific types of settings. And and now with Hachimura coming in, um, potentially Reeves coming back, and certainly AD, that gives you more lineups w- where you can do that without having to worry as much about the defense loading up. And that's kind of what I meant also about once they get through the, to the All Star break and through it, what like how do you create that best version of that other team or that other part of this team that maybe just wasn't there personnel wise? And yes. one swing with a big with a bigger wing, a bigger forward can I think make that type of a difference uh, and, and and that's exciting I think it, it there's more probably hope especially if you if you are optimistic about AD uh, than there was at earlier points of the season very much so and I I think that being able to in terms of execution in the half court I think that jump shooting becomes more important against a five on five. I feel like every uh, broadcast now you are doing a sideline hit where it's some insane points in the paint type of stat, right? And so considering that defenses know we're not very good at shooting and we really want to attack the paint, we're still really good at attacking the paint. And and I think that's a strength to be able to still do the thing that you do, even when the defense is loaded up to stop that. That has a limit though, where you're going to need to make jump shots. And one of the things I really liked about the Portland game. And again, Portland is not, Portland's one of those teams where with Dame, basically every play down the court, we were like, LeBron was like, all right, who's Dame guarding? And they tried a couple scrams to get out of it. And then we countered that. And But basically we were targeting Dame. That was the whole strategy down the stretch. And not every team's going to have such a weak entry point that we can exploit and get kind of our four on threes out of that. And so that is something that being able to execute in in a five on five type of setting, that's part of the reason why, Mike, I think we need one more guy who can just hit jump shots. It's not necessarily a sniper, although that would be great. But I do think that that is kind of like the last missing piece now that we have Rui. Yeah. Uh, the, so I'll, I'll do my typical qualifier. And if it's a guy that hits jump shots, then I just also want that player to be able to stay on the floor defensively some. 
Um, but mm-hmm. and can like can that player do it better on both sides than just Troy Brown, who's been shooting the three point shot pretty well and yep. is in holding up fine defensively. And I'm he's one of the guys that I think could be elevated a little bit more, um, just in terms of minutes, in terms of what he's doing. So I've that's that's my pushback is that if you're looking for kind of another roster move in that sense, unless it's a big one and it includes a first, which then again we've that's a whole nother topic. Um, can a player like that, now that you have some size in, in Hachimura who can shoot threes to an extent, you know, can you find that player internally or not? Yeah. Big questions ahead. Um, good stuff, though. The team's starting to take shape. Got a back-to-back coming up tonight and tomorrow. Uh, if if we win those two, we will be 24-25 and 25 with the chance to reach 500 for the first time this season against the Boston Celtics. So let's let's go get it. Let's go get it. We're on the rise. Uh Big game against the Clippers tonight. Curious to see how that goes. Got another wing to handle theirs. Um, We'll be back tomorrow to discuss how it goes. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase, plus get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 